Joe, thank you for leading us in prayer. Scott, thanks for leading us through that commissioning. And, um, you know, just as uh, we have the privilege of praying for parents and uh, these children um, to grow up and follow the Lord, I also appreciated Joe's sensitivity to pray over students around, um, through in our congregation and around the world who are going to use their spring break time and other breaks during their school year to travel and share the gospel elsewhere. I think, Noah, I saw you walk in. Aren't you getting ready to leave for a mission trip pretty soon? When do you, when do you head out? On Friday? Awesome. Friday night? Okay. So we have, you know, Phil, you know Noah is probably uh, just representative of several students in our congregation who are going to be taking similar mission trips and uh, just praise the Lord for mobilizing students within our church and throughout our area to take the gospel elsewhere. So keep them in mind as the Lord uh, lays them on your heart to pray over them. Um, but if you have your Bible today, you can take it and open it up to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18 is where we're going to be today. Uh, as you're turning there, again, just want to reiterate uh, just a warm welcome to everybody who's joined us today, but especially those of you who maybe join us for the first time. If this is your first time here, we're so glad to have you. And I also know that if you're joining us for the first time, um, you know, you may not know this. We've been preaching straight through the New Testament book of Acts in our Sunday morning services. And so this is the 43rd sermon in our study through the book of Acts. And so today we're going to be jumping into Acts chapter 18. And it's kind of like, you know, in some ways it can kind of feel like walking in on people when they're like halfway through a movie and you're like, hey, what's happened to lead us all the way up to this point? If you don't really understand uh, the backstory, you kind of can get lost. And so let me just take a quick minute to summarize um, everything that's happened in the book of Acts uh, leading, you know, up to here, this point into Acts chapter 18. So in Acts chapter 1, you know, this is when really the resurrected Christ, you know, the, is, is with his disciples once again. And he pulls them together and he says, I'm about to ascend back up into heaven, uh, but I am going to send my Holy Spirit to come upon you. And when I do that, you're going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, then in Judea and Samaria, and then out to the rest of the world. And so that statement from Jesus in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 really gives us an outline for the rest of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2 through 7 are about the apostles' ministry right there in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 12 are about their ministry in the regions around Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. And then in chapter 13 and following through the rest of the book, this is about their ministry uh, witnessing for Jesus to really the Gentile world, the non-Jewish regions uh, in the rest of the world uh, nearby them. And so that kind of gives us an outline of the book of Acts. Now, in chapter 13 and 14, what we saw was Paul's first missionary journey with his friend Barnabas, where for about nine months or 10 months, they're traveling around, preaching the gospel. People are believing upon Jesus, and little communities of churches are being started. Um, They return from that first trip in Acts chapter 14, and then in Acts chapter 15, we get to an event called the Jerusalem Council. Uh, Some controversial decisions made there, uh, but very important ones uh, in the grand scope of church history. Then we come to Acts chapter 16, and that's when the Apostle Paul gets ready to head out on his second missionary journey. This time he takes with him his friend named Silas. And so um, let's, really what we're doing today is we're coming to the end of that second missionary journey. So let's put the map up on the screen and we can kind of retrace their steps as we um, enter into the story together. So in the top right corner of the Mediterranean Sea there, you can see the city of Antioch. That's where the church existed that sent Paul and Silas out 
on their missionary journey. So this is the starting point, is Antioch there in Syria. They travel north and then west over into Lystra and Derbe, and that's where they meet Timothy. Timothy joins them on their missionary journeys. They, from there, go kind of north and then west over into Troas and then across the Aegean Sea, over into Macedonia where they preach the gospel in Philippi, and then um, go southwest from there down into uh, Thessalonica and then into Berea. In Berea, something important happens. There's opposition against the Apostle Paul, and he, um, he has to be escorted out of Berea down into the city of Athens, really just by himself and with some Berean um, uh, escorters who would just go with escorts that would go with him. And so what ends up happening is that Silas and, or, yeah, Silas and Timothy get left in Berea as Paul goes down to Athens. Well, then he preaches in Athens, and then Paul makes his way over to the city of Corinth. And in Corinth, that's what we focused on last week, in Corinth is where he meets two important figures that uh, will study more as the book of Acts unfolds. It's a man named Aquila and his wife named Priscilla. So he meets them there in Corinth. Also in Corinth, that's where Silas and Timothy catch up to him and rejoin him in ministry. But like always in Corinth, uh, Paul goes and preaches in the synagogue. He ends up getting opposed by the Jews there. He gets frustrated. He, if you remember, he shakes out his garments at them. And he says, from now on, I'm going to preach to the Gentiles. I'm, I'm done receiving all this hostility from the Jews. And um, really, if you remember Acts 18, verse 10 from last week, that's where God meets Paul in that moment of frustration and hardship. And, and God says to Paul, um, do not be afraid for I am with you. No one in this city will harm you. In fact, what did God say to him? For I have many in this city who are my people. In other words, God intended to protect Paul, use him to preach the gospel so that people in Corinth would be saved and eventually uh, really join the church, right? Many in that city were God's people. They were just waiting to come into the fold. And we said last week, we want to believe that same thing for our city. In the city of Beaver Creek, in the greater Dayton area, we believe that God has many in this city who are his people. Now, we want to be the people who become occupied, people who become committed to, like the Apostle Paul, sharing the gospel, and seeing those who are lost become saved because we believe he has many in our city who are his people. So today what we're going to do is we're going to see Paul move on from Corinth and complete his second missionary journey. As you can see on the map, he's going to go from Corinth, he's going to go back east over to Ephesus, and then eventually kind of make his route all the way back home to Syrian Antioch. So today we're going to complete the uh, second missionary journey of Paul, and we're really going to complete our study of the book of Acts for a while. Um, starting next Sunday, we're going to go into a new sermon series simply entitled Brand New. And we're going to be focusing on the fact that, you know, as we look through Scripture, Jesus makes people brand new, right? We actually believe Jesus changes people. Um, that through the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ, you don't have to be who you always were. God can make you new. He can, he can save and change people. And the reason why we're going into that sermon series starting next week is because, as Phil mentioned earlier, we expect that sometime over the course of this next month, we're going to be moving into our new building and starting to worship there. And as we make that transition, I just I wanted to preach a series that drives home this very important point. And that is that ministry isn't mainly about a new building for a church. Ministry is about people having new life through Jesus Christ. And that's what I want us to emphasize when we move into that new building. We may have a new building, but it's all for the purpose of helping people find new life in Jesus. 
And so that's what we're going to focus on as we uh, move into our new building. But today we're going to wrap up Paul's second journey. We'll eventually get into the book of Acts uh, and finish out the book later this summer. But for today, let's wrap up Paul's second journey. So we're going to look today at chapter 18, verses 18 through 22. And the truth is that when you read this passage, you know, if you were just sitting down and reading it, not listening to a sermon, you might read this and think to yourself, well, what's really in here for us to latch onto and take home? And, and what does God really want to teach us through this? And I, I think that sometimes as we read the Bible, there's many passages of scripture that seem that way at first reading. Uh, my wife and I are reading a Bible reading plan together through the Bible in a year, and we just wrapped up the book of Leviticus, right? We're into, into numbers. Sometimes as a pastor, when I'm reading it, I'm saying, okay, Lord, like, this is a grind, Wait, what, what, do you, what do you want? And we have to do a lot of work. But here's what I have to remind myself of regularly, and I think you'll understand this. We have to remind ourselves that what? All Scripture is breathed out by God. It is all profitable and useful so that what? We as His people can be equipped for every good work and trained in righteousness. So some passages of Scripture might seem kind of dull at first, but they're there for a reason. They're there for a good reason. And today we're going to see that this short passage about the conclusion of Paul's second missionary journey, we're going to see that it's here for a good reason as well. So today we're going to work our way from verses 18 through 22. I'm going to make some teaching points along the way. And then we're going to bring this home by hitting two application points at the end. And really the application points tie into this passage about the summary of Paul's second missionary journey, but really it applies to really the overarching principle seen throughout all of his missionary journeys. And here's the main idea. It's this. Our God is sovereign, and that means that you can trust him with every step of your life. Our God is sovereign, and that means you can trust him with every step of your life, right? So let's get into God's word, starting in verse 18 of chapter 18. God's word reads this way. It says, after this, right? So after some of the events there in Corinth, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. So again, keep in mind that Corinth is in Europe, but Paul is now going to make his way back over to Antioch of Syria, which is all the way over in Palestine, right? So he's going to have to cross the Aegean Sea, cross the Mediterranean Sea, and that's a, that's a long ways to get back all the way over to Syria, Antioch of Syria. It's over 1,200 miles to get there, right? That's like as far from here past Denver, Colorado, right? I mean, that's a long ways away. So Paul is about to leave Corinth with the intentions of making the journey all the way back to Antioch of Syria. And as he travels, uh, his friends Aquila and Priscilla go with him. Remember, we got introduced to this couple last, um, last Sunday's service. And they, remember, were a Jewish couple that had been living in Rome but had made their way to Corinth. They had become Christians along their way, so they opened up their hearts and they opened up their home to the Apostle Paul. Paul lived with them for the 18 or more months that he was there in Corinth. And after living together with them for like a year and a half, you can imagine that their hearts, you know, kind of got knit together. They became close. Imagine if you opened up your home to a missionary who was in this area and they stayed with you for a year and a half, right? That would bring your hearts together. And so they become friends and Aquila and Priscilla decide to leave Corinth with Paul and travel with him as he begins his journey back to Antioch in Syria. So that's verse um, 18. Another little detail here in verse 18 says this. Uh, it says, at uh, Kenkrea, which is an eastern 
port in the city of Corinth, it says that Paul had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. Now, this might be kind of strange to you at first, a little detail here that you're like, okay, what's the point of this? You know, first of all, we don't really understand vows that much in our culture. We take wedding vows. Uh, we do things like today, like a parent commissioning where we make a public vow, but we don't take vows very often in our culture. And we certainly don't take a lot of vows concerning our hair, right? So yet this one has to do with Paul's hair. So maybe the, the closest that I can relate to this is uh, thinking back on my days as a youth pastor. When I was a youth pastor, like years ago, um, I told our kids, hey, if you can round up this many kids to like come to this particular event, then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put my, my hair in a mohawk and uh, wear it to church all spiked up in a mohawk one day. Yes, I had hair back then. Ha, ha, ha. Okay, so these kids, you know, you know, whatever, they rally around it. They bring their friends. They bring all the kids. And so now, you know, I had to figure out how am I going to get my hair in a mohawk? So I bust out the Elmer's glue and a hair dryer and... Seven inches high, my, you know, hair is just spiked up, and I go to church on Sunday with, with a mohawk, and um, it's interesting because on that particular Sunday, you know, the message was preached, the worship was really powerful, and at the end of the service, we did like a little altar call thing, and like all these people went forward to pray, I went forward to pray, and uh, so I'm up there praying, and I meet this couple who comes up to me afterwards, um, and, uh, and I go up and introduce myself to them, and I'm like, hey, I'm Jason, I'm the youth pastor here. And they start chuckling, and they're like, that's so funny. And I'm like, what's so funny? And they're like, man, we just thought God was really moving. Like, even the little mohawked, like, punk rock-looking guy decided to come up to the altar and get saved. I'm like, yeah, I'm just, a, I'm just a youth pastor who made a deal with our kids, right? So that's the way, that's about the closest that I can relate to making a vow that has to do with my hair, like the Apostle Paul did here in Acts 18. What's going on here with Paul is that he is very likely... Um, involved in something called a Nazarite vow. You can read about this in the book of Numbers chapter 6 in your Old Testament. It was, it was a short-term vow that Jews would make in order to consecrate themselves to the Lord, which to consecrate means to just specially dedicate yourself to the Lord uh, for a particular period of time. And part of that Nazarite vow, it, it included a commitment to not cut your hair during that time. And so once the season of your commitment was over, then you could go and you could cut your hair. So it seems very likely to me that the Apostle Paul had taken a Nazarite vow that had included not cutting his hair for a period of time. So the question is, why would he do it and why is it written about here in the book of Acts? Like, why this little detail? Well, as we've studied the book of Acts, what have we seen? What does the context of the book of Acts show us? It shows us that the Apostle Paul was himself a Jew Therefore, he had a, a huge heart for reaching the Jews with the gospel. So the problem was that wherever Paul would go and preach, the, the Jews struggled to receive Paul's message about Jesus Christ because Paul would preach that salvation came you know, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not by works of the law. And so the Jews could be easily offended saying, hey, this guy, Paul, he's coming and he's, he's downgrading. He doesn't seem to uphold. He doesn't seem to appreciate our Jewish law. And so, you know, that could have served to be a problem. So what have we seen the Apostle Paul do ever, six, ever since Acts 15 and the Jerusalem Council? What we've seen is that he's tried to remove these barriers uh, from, that would hinder him from sharing the gospel with the Jews. And so that's why he did things like have Timothy get circumcised. 
not because Timothy had to keep the Jewish law of circumcision, but rather by keeping it, it would remove roadblocks um, that might prevent them from sharing the gospel. And so I think that this is something similar that's going on with the Apostle Paul as he's chosen to take a Nazarite vow right here. He didn't have to take it, but by taking it, he showed the Jews, hey, I'm not totally opposed to your law. And that would remove some roadblocks and maybe build some goodwill and find a common place of connecting with them. So maybe that helps you understand why the little detail here about haircutting, okay? So that's verse 18. Look ahead to verse 19. Verse 19 says this, and as they came to Ephesus and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he did what? He declined. He declined. So now we see that Paul has left Corinth he goes to Ephesus. I just want to put this back up on the map for just a second because I want us to remember something here. Ephesus, as you can see, east of Corinth, is it's in Asia Minor. And I point that out to say, remember when we started talking about Paul's second missionary journey a couple months ago? We said that when he went north from Antioch and then over into Lystra and Derby, he met Timothy And then they wanted to go next, wherever the Lord would have them go. And it it actually said that Paul wanted to go into Asia, but the Holy Spirit prevented him from going there. So Paul ended up following the Lord's lead all the way around over into Europe and made his loop. Well, now where has the Lord brought him back? The Lord has brought him back to Ephesus, which is in Asia. It's in this area. And so now the Lord has, in his timing, brought Paul back here. And what is Paul doing as he's made his way back into this area? region of Ephesus, this, this region of Asia Minor. While he's there, he's doing what he normally does, right? Isn't this what verse 19 and 20 tell us? That, that he was in the synagogue reasoning with the Jews there. In other words, what does it mean when it says in verse 18 that he's reasoning with the Jews? It means that with the Jews in the synagogue, they're getting out the scriptures, they're engaging their minds, they're, they're, Paul is showing them, hey, remember what Our Old Testament scriptures say about the Christ, well, let me tell you about Jesus of Nazareth and how Jesus has fulfilled all this. And so he's preaching with them in the synagogue there. And their response was to ask Paul to stay longer. Let's let's talk more about this. Remember back in Acts 17 when Bill Letcher was preaching his sermon, you know, he said, when the gospel goes forward, there's essentially three types of responses. The first response is that some people will readily accept the gospel, other people will quickly dismiss the gospel and reject it, but then there's this third category of people who will just say, you know what, I'm interested, I want to hear more. And that's what we have going on here in Ephesus. The people wanted to learn more, so they ask Paul to stay. But what's so interesting to me is, he declines. Now, I want you to think about this. Here's why it surprises me that he declines. Because this is the only city in his second missionary journey where they have no record of him going, preaching to the Jews, and him not being like beat up or opposed in some way. All right, this is the only place so far where the Jews have given him what seems to be a a perfectly friendly reception and they wanted him to stay. Yet, Paul still leaves. Verse 19 says that he left uh, them, uh, meaning Aquila and Priscilla, he left them to stay there, but Paul decided to leave. Now, here's the truth. Sometimes, listen, sometimes God tells people to say no to a ministry opportunity because he's been raising up somebody else to say yes, okay? Paul was a gifted teacher. People wanted to hear from him, no doubt about it, but 
there were other gifted teachers and preachers being raised up. People like Aquila and Priscilla and Apollos and these people that we're going to learn more about as we continue our study in the book of Acts later. We're going to read more about their ministry. But on a, just a quick note of personal application to you and to me, guys, sometimes God may lead you to say no to some sort of ministry opportunity. Why? Because he's already been raising up somebody else to say yes. When we're presented with ministry opportunities, people asking us to serve and do this and that, it's hard to say no sometimes, isn't it? It's hard to say no. We can feel bad about it. And, and let me just say this. You shouldn't say no to everything. Like, don't hear what I'm about to say and think, oh, Jason just gave us a permission slip to say no, and now we don't have to do anything. Okay, God has given you spiritual gifts. He's given you passions and burdens and callings on your life, and you should follow uh, God's call on your life. But here's the thing. As God calls, he makes his will clear for you. As you start using your spiritual gifts in the way God has given you, you know what that does? It makes your sense of God's leading very clear, which frees you up to say no to other things. And that's what we see living out here, uh, being lived out by Paul in this portion of his missionary journey. He believes in God's sovereignty. God has gifted him, called him. God is directing his steps. So that frees Paul to say yes to going back towards Syria and Antioch, and it frees him to say no to staying there in Ephesus. So God led Paul to say no to this opportunity, but God also, but Paul also knew that God could give him a future yes to come back. So look what he says in verse uh, 21. Verse 21 says, But on taking leave of them, Paul said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. You ever met one of those Christians who seems to caveat everything that they say about their future with that little phrase, Lord willing? I'll be there tomorrow, Lord willing. I'll see you at church next Sunday, Lord willing. Somebody's going to bring me some donuts to the office this week, Lord willing. That's what I'm saying, right? Like, we've all heard people use this language all the time. And I have to admit, like when I was younger, when I was a kid, I always thought it was kind of a weird little saying that just church people said, you know, like, but the more I've really started to grow and understand scripture, the more that I think it's a great thing for us to say and get into our vocabulary. It's, um, it's what James taught us in his New Testament letter, James chapter 4, verse 13 through 15, say this, come now you who say tomorrow or today we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So James understands that like God is sovereign. He's laid out his purposes. The, the things of God are going to be accomplished and he doesn't know how long he's going to live. Christians, we ought to remember, we don't know how long of a life we're going to have. So we just need to entrust our future into the hands of God and trust our tomorrows into the hands of God and understand we're only going to do things if God's will permits it. So Paul understood that and that's why he says in Acts 18, hey, um, you folks in Ephesus, I will return to you if the Lord wills. He knew that his present call was to go elsewhere, back to Antioch and Syria, but he did not know what God's future call for him might be. So as we're going to see later in the book of Acts, God does indeed actually call Paul to go back to Ephesus, and Paul actually stays in Ephesus longer than he stays anywhere else on his recorded missionary journey. Later, he's going to come back and he's going to stay with them for like three years. But for now, 
He knows what God's will is, and that's to head back to Antioch of Syria. So he leaves Ephesus and continues on his way, right? Look at verse 22. Verse 22 says that when he had landed in Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. So Paul leaves Ephesus. He goes into Caesarea. And again, this is where when we study straight through books of the Bible like this, you can connect dots about locations, right? So we've heard about Caesarea before. If you remember, this is that city on the eastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. This is where the apostle Philip, earlier in the book of Acts, he went and preached all along the coastal cities of the Mediterranean Sea. Um, After he led the Ethiopian man to Christ, he preached there all the way up to the city of Caesarea, where he preached the gospel. If you remember, this same city in Caesarea is where the man Cornelius lived, where the apostle Peter went and preached the gospel, and Cornelius and his household believed years, you know, that all occurred years before uh, the the spot where we're at in our history of Acts um, right now. But Paul, you know, comes from Ephesus into that city of Caesarea. So who knows, you know, maybe uh, Cornelius was still there with his household and the church that had been started and the believers that Philip led to Christ. But Paul comes and and he sails into that city. And then it says this, he went up and greeted the church, then went down to Antioch. And just as a little side note, hopefully it helps you not be confused when you read your Bible. When it says that he went up and down here, like don't think north and south. Rather think higher altitude, lower altitude. Because when it says that he went up to the church, that means he went to a higher altitude. Jerusalem was on the top of a mountain, right? It's a higher altitude area. And when it says that he went down to the church in Antioch, right? He was actually traveling north, but he was traveling at a, a lower altitude. Syrian was, Syria and Antioch was down from Jerusalem in that way. So I just wanted to make sure we cover those little notes so that you're not confused when you read your Bible. You don't think there's errors there or something. Um, so what do we have here? This is when Paul arrives from Jerusalem. He returns back up to Syrian Antioch. And when he gets back to his home church in Syria and Antioch, that's the completion of his second missionary journey. Just that trip from Corinth to Syria and Antioch was over 1,200 miles, but if you retrace all the mileage of his whole route, we're talking about him traveling over 2,700 miles uh, over the course of about a two and a half year time period. And so when we, the reason why I point that out is because when we read the book of Acts, you know, we kind of fly through chapter 16, 17, 18. It's like three pages in our Bible, but we're talking about two and a half or three years worth of life events, relationships built, lots of history going on here. Um, so this is a lengthy journey, both in distance and in time. And the point that I want you to take home from Paul's second missionary journey and his first missionary journey and the future missionary journeys that we're going to study about him down the road is this. It's that God is sovereign and he is accomplishing his purposes through it all. God is sovereign. What did Jesus say? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, then in Judea and Samaria, and then to the other most parts of the earth. This, what we're reading through Paul's second missionary journey, this is how God was completing his purpose to get the gospel out away from Jerusalem and then out to the rest of the world. God is sovereign. He's going to accomplish his purposes. So with that big idea in mind, pertaining to Paul's second missionary journey and all of his other journeys, with that in mind, let me just close this out with two takeaways. The first one is for believers. The second one is for anybody who's here today that may be an unbeliever or you may not be sure about where you stand in your faith. First takeaway, Christian, 
Big takeaway for us. We must learn to trust our sovereign God with our tomorrows. Learn to trust your sovereign God with your tomorrows. Guys, when we say that God is sovereign, what I mean is he has authority and power to do whatever he wants. That's why Paul, like, Paul understood this about God. And that's why he could say, if God wills, I'll return to you. If God wills. He knew that his life would play out according to God's sovereign plan. He didn't know where God would have him in the future. So he released that. And the posture of his heart was to say, you know what? That's going to be up to God. He trusted his tomorrows to his sovereign God. Now, when it comes to God's sovereignty, I have learned an important lesson from my father-in-law. My father-in-law has this little thing. When when life doesn't go as planned or maybe takes a a disappointing turn or a surprising turn, my father-in-law has this expression. He, He constantly says, well, God is sovereign. All right, and that's just his way of saying, you know what, I'm I'm surprised, I'm disappointed, but you know what, I accept it as God's will. Now, about two or three years into my marriage, I remembered the first time that I ever heard my father-in-law say, well, God is sovereign. You know when that was? It was on the night that I asked him for his blessing to marry Rachel. (laughs) (laughs) Sir, uh, may I have your blessing to marry your daughter? Well, God is sovereign, (laughs) right? I'm disappointed, but I accept it as God's will, you know. Um, to which, you know, my little, you know, uh, young pastoral heart wanted to respond and say, well, God's sovereign will also means that everything's going to work out for your good, right? So I'm good for you, right? That's kind of what I'm thinking. But nevertheless, as time has gone on, I figured out, you know what, uh, man, I got, the, I got the good end of the deal on that one. So I'll, I love my in-laws and I love my wife. Now, a little side story to make this point. And this is true, right? Life doesn't always go as we plan. It doesn't go the way we, that we thought it would go. In fact, none of, us, none of us know what's coming in the future. You literally don't know the words that I'm about to say. You're going to drive home. You don't know what can happen on your drive home. So you know what you do? You wear a seatbelt. You, you don't know what tomorrow's going to hold, so you put money in a savings account. You don't know what's going to happen in your future, so you buy insurance policies. Life doesn't, we don't know what, what life is going to hold for us, and that's why we do the things that we do. Guys, it's also why we worry. It's why we worry. I have friends who say this, worry is, it's just pre-living the future in your mind. And when all you can imagine is a dreadful, negative unpreferable, terrible future, then some people call that catastrophizing in your mind. It's when we start living in this hypothetical, imaginary world that's not real. And when we start to do that, that's when we worry. But here's the truth about worry. Worry won't change the future, but it can ruin today. Worry won't change tomorrow, but it can ruin today. And that's why Jesus said, hey, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will have enough trouble of its own, right? Jesus, in other words, is saying, you know what? Tomorrow's going to have real troubles. You know, why, why are you adding these fake imaginary ones to today, right? Instead, what are we to do? We are to trust in the Lord our God, leaning not on our own understanding, because our understanding doesn't know what the future is going to come. In all our ways, acknowledging Him, our omnipotent, Good, all-loving, yet all-powerful, always getting it right, never making a mistake, God. 
Our times are in His hands, right? As the old saying goes, we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. The book of Isaiah says it this way. God speaks and God says in Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there's none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purpose. God is sovereign. Proverbs 16, verse 9 says this, the heart of a man plans his way, but who? The Lord establishes his steps. Our God is sovereign. His purposes will stand. So when things don't go the way we expected them to go, what do we need to do? Submissively entrust our future, our tomorrows, into his hands. So here's the big question. Here's the big question I just want to ask you to consider today, Christian. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with that? And have you settled that in your heart? Have you settled in your heart that you can make all the plans you want, but that the Lord can call a different, different path anytime He wants, right? He can, he can edit your life script that you've written out. He can call an audible on the little plan that you thought you were going to run. He can change the direction of your life whenever He wants. Yes, it's, it's good to prepare and be wise and think about stewarding the time, talent, treasure that He's given us, and yes, we make many plans based on what we think is going to happen, but on any given day, like the unexpected could happen. And when it does, we need to simply entrust and release. And those aren't even the right words. Really, what we need to do is recognize that God is going to work out His purposes, and it may not be always the way we thought it would go. That's why we should say things like, if the Lord wills, I'll come back to you. If the Lord wills, I'll do that. Because he's going to direct our steps. He's going to accomplish all his purposes because he is sovereign. And we need to learn to trust our sovereign God with all of life's tomorrows. Now, that's the first takeaway for you who are believers. Those of you who are not believers, or maybe you're questioning your faith, here's the second takeaway for you. Because you don't know tomorrow, you must trust Jesus today. Because you don't know tomorrow, you must trust Jesus today. You, the truth is, like, you may not have a tomorrow on this earth. Today could be your last day. We don't know when our last day will come, but we do know that it's going to come, and we need to be ready when it does come. Because the scripture says that, what, it is appointed to man to die once, and after that comes the judgment so what do we all know in our hearts? We all know that in our hearts we've sinned against God and the scripture makes it very clear that one day we are gonna stand before God, our righteous judge. And in that day, every knee will bow before him, our sovereign God. We're gonna give an account to him for the way that we've lived and he's gonna pronounce a judgment upon our soul that is either guilty or not guilty, forgiven or not forgiven, accepted by me or unaccepted by me. And we, in that moment, guys, we will not be able to go back and change our past, right? We can't rewrite history. We're not gonna be able to lie or deceive or somehow kind of con God into, you know, uh, trick him into just kind of thinking about something a different way. He knows everything about us. He knows the, the perfect way that things have always like unfolded. He knows every detail. And so, the only hope that we have in that moment is that when our perfect, all-knowing, all-powerful God, when he looks upon our lives, including all of the sin and all of our mistakes, 
Our only hope is that he looks at us and says, you are forgiven because of the blood of my son, Jesus. Your only hope in judgment is to be forgiven. And that's the message that the apostle Paul came and he preached about Jesus. He preached it on his journeys. I preach it to you today that Jesus Christ of Nazareth was indeed the son of God who came to this world. He took on human flesh. But because he was God in the flesh, he could live sinless in every way. And because he was sinless, he could become the acceptable sacrifice to God for the payment of sins. And he hung on Calvary's cross, dying on that cross in our place for our sins, so that when we believe upon him, our sins can be forgiven. And we can be given right standing in God's eyes, so that when our last day comes, and when judgment day comes, God can look at us and say, you know what? You've believed upon my son Jesus. You're forgiven. You're with me. So you must be ready before you stand with God in judgment. Because that day is going to come. And you, none of us know when that day is going to come. Because you don't know when your last day is going to come. Because you don't know what tomorrow is going to be. You need to trust Jesus today. So our God is sovereign. And you can trust him with every step of your life. Let's pray. Lord, I ask uh, now as we... Even right now in this moment as I'm praying to you, Lord, I pray that if there are people here who really just don't know whether or not their sins are forgiven, whether they've been saved, they don't know, they're not sure what your response would be on judgment day towards them, I pray, Lord, that today they would believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, have their sins forgiven, and let their soul rest assured that they've been accepted by you because of Jesus. And Lord, for those of us who have been saved and had our sins forgiven and have believed the gospel that Paul preached and many others have preached prior to this sermon today, for those of us who have believed, Lord, we want to worship you as our sovereign God. We want to trust you as our sovereign God. Yes, we want to steward the days that you've given us and make our plans and make efforts for you. But Lord, um, we remember this morning that you are in control and you can bring changes and struggles and hardships and joys and opportunities that none of us ever saw coming because your purposes will stand. And so Lord, we, we remember that this morning. You are sovereign over all. And we thank you that in your sovereignty, you have chosen to call sinners like us to yourself and make us your own. We thank you. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.